Well, good morning. My name is Nate. If we don't know each other, I would love to meet you at some point. Um, Do you know that feeling that you get when you're guilty? Do you know that feeling? What do you do when you're guilty? What should you do when you're guilty? For me growing up, the thing that I would try to do is just hide it. Just don't let anybody find out and it'll be fine. You'll be fine. And this uh, really came to a boiling point for me in college. Um, there was this class that I was part of and uh, one of the, uh, a percentage of your grade in this class was um, based on just doing the reading that was assigned in the syllabus. And the way that you reported that you had done the reading was based on the honor system. And so you would just log in and say, I read 100% of this book or whatever. And then you would get all the credit for that. And so after a couple weeks of doing the reading, I just thought, you know what? I could get full credit and not do anything. And so that's what I did. And so I just logged in, said 100% or whatever. And then um, I got an A in the class and it was awesome. And two years went by and I didn't think a single thing of that. And then my, my last year in college, I'm in this quiet time, having this quiet time in the library and I'm praying and asking God what his will is for my life, you know? And I had these things in front of me that I needed him to tell me what to do. Should I go to this grad school um, or should I take this job? And God, what, what's your will for my life, you know? And the only thing that I felt the Holy Spirit bringing to my mind was you need to go confess that you lied on those reading reports. And I was like, no way, absolutely not. For one thing, that was two years ago. For another thing, it was so small and stupid and lots of terrible things have happened since then. Nobody cares about this small little thing. And also what would happen to me? You get kicked out of college for stuff like this, I think. And so what's gonna happen? I can't go and do that. I've got grad schools wanting me to come and I've got jobs that want me to come work there. And that's what I'm trying to decide on. I don't need to jeopardize my whole future by going and bringing up these stupid little reading reports. And so after literally a year of doing that, this is pathetic, okay? I went and I confessed my last week of school. It was finals week. Like everybody's gonna be off campus like Thursday and I'm going to the professor's office Tuesday, you know? And so I confessed it and uh, he punished me by lowering my grade and, and I'm still here. Look. But for so long, I believed that life would actually be better in the dark. That if I came forward with my guilt and was exposed, who knows what might happen to me? Life is not found in the light. Life is found in the dark. That's what I believed. And isn't that what we believe so often? Isn't what we believe so often that if people knew this thing about me, I'd be rejected. If, if I was actually honest about stuff, these sick thoughts that I have sometimes, or these sick things that I've said 
to my family sometimes or these sick things that I've done. If I was actually honest about that, if people actually knew that, if people knew some of these things that have happened in the dark, my life would be ruined. And so consequently, we hide. We stay in the dark. When we're guilty, we, we avoid the light. We avoid owning up to it. The apostle named John, who was one of Jesus's best friends while Jesus was on the earth, he watched Jesus do all kinds of amazing miracles. He had lots of times where he went camping with Jesus. He spent numerous years with him. He watched him be killed and then he watched him be raised from the dead. That man, John, becomes a leader in the church after Jesus has been raised from the dead. And when he writes this letter, he's become an old man now. And he's writing to churches and he says that he has a main goal for them. The goal is, he tells us in verse three, that he wants for them to have fellowship with God and with one another. He wants them to have fellowship with God and with one another. And the word fellowship just means a deep friendship. It's a partnership. It's going in on something together. And he says, I want for you to be able to live, to walk in fellowship with God and also fellowship with other people. And that's the point of the letter. And so, That's what he's trying to do, but here's the argument that he makes throughout this letter and especially in the introduction. He says that guilt that we fail to deal with breaks our fellowship with God and with one another. John is going to say that staying in the dark with your guilt will actually break your fellowship with God and it will break your fellowship with people. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that in order for you to experience the joy, in order for you to experience the freedom and the love that there is in God and in a relationship with him, and in order for you to experience the joy and freedom and love that there is to be had with God's people, you've got to learn how to deal with your guilt. And so here's what we're going to do today. Today, we're going to look at one little section in the beginning of John's letter to help us think about what to do with our guilt. How do we find the courage to bring our guilt into the light? That's what we're going to talk about. So if you have a Bible, 1 John chapter 1 is where we're going to be today. This is on page 1082 in the Bibles that are uh, in your seat there, if you need to use one of those. They're underneath the seat in front of you, unless you're on the front row. And then I actually don't know what those people are supposed to do. So, sorry, Nathaniel. (laughs) Um, So, 1 John, chapter 1. He says, here's the message that you need to know if you're going to experience this fellowship with God and fellowship with people. Here's the message. Verse five, 
This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. He says, God is light and there's no darkness in him. Now this statement, as simple as it is, God is light. This statement has huge implications about God and about us. It has huge implications for how we understand God and how we understand ourselves. Think about what it tells us about God, that he's light. The fact that God is light means that God is true. He's the one who exposes things for what they really are. If you, if you want to see what something is actually like, do you bring it into a dark room or into a bright room? If you're trying to see if a shirt is wrinkled enough for you to wear without ironing it, do you take it into the dark or into the light? When you're trying to see if something matches, do you walk into a dark room or do you bring it into the light? God is light. He's the one who reveals things for how they actually are. God is true. The fact that God is light also means that God is good. He doesn't sin or do evil. The fact that God is light also means that God is the source of life. In the same way that if the sun didn't exist, that life couldn't exist in the solar system. We need its warmth and we need its light in order for life to happen. The same is true with God. In order for things to live, we need God because he's light. And this also has implications for us. The fact that God is light, what does that teach us about us? It teaches us that we need fellowship with God if we're going to really live. It teaches us that if we want to experience life as it was intended, if we want to live truthfully, and if we want to do what's right and what's good and pursue justice, and if we want to experience all that life was intended to be, we need fellowship with God. So God is light. There's no darkness in him. The problem is coming into the light is scary because of our guilt. See, if God is light and he's shining and he exposes things for what they really are, and if fellowship with God comes from walking in the light, being in the light where God is, then that's a problem when we are guilty. Because in the light, we'll be exposed. And we've already said that when we are vulnerable, when we are guilty and feel like exposing us would kill us, we want to stay in the dark. So, so often what we do, rather than come to God in the light, as we hide in the dark, 
And what John does next is absolutely brilliant. What John does next is he shines a light on three lies that we tell ourselves to try and justify staying in the dark. And why I love this is because this was written 2000 years ago and we still do the same stuff. The insights that John has into the human psyche are just amazing. And so what we're going to do next is look at these three lies that John says that we tell ourselves to try and justify the dark. They're in verses 6, 8, and 10. And so we're going to look at verse 6, then verse 8, then verse 10, and then we're going to come back and talk about the in-between verses, okay? So here's the first lie John says that we tell ourselves that keeps us separated from this fellowship, this experience that we're designed for with God that keeps us in the dark. Here's the first one, verse six. If we say, here's the lie, we have fellowship with him and yet we walk in darkness, we are lying and not practicing the truth. Here's the first lie we tell ourselves. We still have fellowship with God even though we're doing these other things. Even though I'm sinning, me and God are still good. This lie is when we deny the seriousness of our sin. To walk in darkness is to live in sin, to live contrary to God's word, to not allow God who is light to dictate how we walk. As long as we're having fun, our sin is not all that serious. That's what we tell ourselves when we're operating by this lie. If it makes me happy, God wouldn't stop me from doing it. God accepts me no matter what. I still have fellowship with him, even though I'm walking in the dark. This isn't that serious. I'm still close to God. We still have fellowship with him, even though we're walking in the dark. This lie leads us to have fun with sin in the dark, but still act like we're in the light. We're still going to church. We're still doing Christian stuff, but we're also still losing our temper, still gossiping, still looking at porn, still cheating on our taxes, still being stingy with our money, still lying, still coping through substances. Yeah but we still have fellowship with God. Me and God are so good, even though I know I'm, yeah, but we're so good. Let me ask you something. Are there any places in your life where you know you're sinning, but you're living like it's not that important? John says, you don't have fellowship with God. You're missing real fellowship because you think God is cool with you having fun in the dark, but God is light and there is absolutely no darkness in him. So that's the first lie. Here's the second one, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. 
The second lie is we have no sin. To have sin means to possess a sinful character or disposition. This, is, this lie is not denying that sometimes I sin. This lie is denying that, but, but I'm not a sinner. I'm not like sinful. I don't have sin like in me. I have no sin. Sometimes I do things that are sinful, but, but overall I'm good. This lie leads us to deny the depth of our sinfulness. We live by this lie when we claim that even though I sinned, I'm not a sinner. I'm just a good person who makes mistakes. My sins aren't major. They're just normal. So I'm good. Some people have really bad sin, but I'm a good person with normal sins. I'm not a liar. I just lie sometimes. I'm not a glutton. I just don't always practice self-control. I'm not a gossip. I just gossip sometimes. I'm not an adulterer. I just fantasize about people I think are attractive. I'm not a greedy person. I just give very little. I'm not a bad person. I just do bad things sometimes. In this lie, we live as if who we are can be defined apart from what we do. But Jesus says that what comes out of us reflects what's inside of us. Listen to one example of this from the teachings of Jesus in Matthew chapter 15, verse 19. For from the heart, from within, come evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, sexual immoralities, thefts, false testimonies, slander. Why is it a problem to live by this lie? Why is it necessary to, to own up to the depth of our sinfulness? That we're not just good people who sometimes do bad things, but we actually, no, we have sin in us. Why is it bad to deny that? Because he says, we're deceiving ourselves. We're tricking ourselves into thinking that we're better than we really are. And when we deceive ourselves in this way, we, we operate by telling ourselves things like this. Well, I would never fill in the blank. I would never lie like that. I mean, I lie sometimes, but my lies are all small. And that person, they had such a big, I would never lie like that. I would never let myself become like that. I mean, I don't always practice self-control, but I would never let myself become, become like that. I would never say something like that. I would never actually go as far as they went. So not only do we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're better than we, you know, than we really are and that our sin is much more minor than, you know. The other thing that we do is we give ourselves credit for things that we intend to do in the future. 
So right now I'm not really practicing this good habit, but I'm the kind of person who values this kind of habit and someday I will. When I get to college, then I'll definitely start doing X, Y, or Z. Or once our kids are a little bit older, then I'll definitely start this really positive thing. Or I'll definitely stop doing this thing once our kids are a little bit older. Or once our kids are out of the house, or once I'm retired, then I'll definitely do whatever. And it is true that sometimes, depending on the season of life that you're in, you're not able to do all the things that you want to do. But we deceive ourselves into thinking that we will get credit now for something we intend to do later. When so often the truth is, dude, who you are now is what you're doing now. We have no sin. And so because we have no sin and sometimes we lie, but we're not really liars. Sometimes we do this, but we don't. Because of that, we deceive ourselves into thinking. And we wouldn't say this, but we deceive ourselves into thinking that we don't really need Jesus to be our savior. We just need him to be our coach. We just need a coach, not a savior. See, we don't need salvation from our sins. We just need some tips, some pointers, some strategies to clean up our mistakes. But the gospel says, we are not fine the way that we are. And the solution for us is not just learning a new habit. The only hope for us is a new life. We need to be born again. We need to be resurrected. We need to be made new. We need to be an entirely new creation. And the gospel says that that comes to us in the person of Jesus Christ. But Jesus will not be embraced as long as we're operating by that second lie. Well, you got no sin. The Christian life is a continual process of taking off the old self and putting on the new. And the reason we need to put on the new is because our old self is deeply corrupted by sin. That's what the second lie denies. Here's the third lie that keeps us in the dark. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. This lie leads us to deny the authority of God. To say we have not sinned means to deny that particular sins are actually sins. This is when we claim this isn't wrong. I could never believe in a God who said that this thing was wrong. This is when we claim that 
That isn't what the Bible actually meant. What I'm doing is fine. The Bible is talking about meh, meh, meh. No one has the right to tell me what to do. John says, when we operate like this, we make God a liar. Why? Because God says these things are sin. We're saying they're not. So when we do this, we become our own God. We essentially say, I don't want a God who disagrees with me. We can do this with all kinds of things. Well, this particular lie is actually good. Well, if everybody understood how much this person has hurt me, then I would be totally justified in hating them forever. This is not a situation where I need to forgive. This is a situation where I need to stay angry. Well, but this thing that happened is so, so juicy. It's not really gossip if I just tell this one person because I need an outlet. And I can't keep all this stuff to myself. I need an outlet. Gossip is when, let me make up some rules. When we do this, we miss out on the true light because we think that we can define what's true. We think that we are the light. Do you see what John is doing here is he's shining a big light on me and on you and on everyone, helping us see. Coming into the light is actually scary. Coming into the light actually requires that you deal with sin. And on the surface, that's a scary thing. As we've said, coming to own up to this level of sin is terrifying because we've been conditioned to think that if we're exposed, if people knew how sick we really are, if they knew how serious the depth of our sin really was, we would be rejected. Life is not found in the light. It's found in the dark. And so here's what we need to do in light of all of our sin is we need to stay in the dark. Pretend that we're so close to God, even though I'm sinning. Well, I'm not that bad of a person. I've got some mistakes, but... Or what I'm doing is not sin. You see how these are all ways of keeping us in the dark, of failing to come into the light and be exposed for who we really are. And yet John is writing because he wants us to be able to experience the love and joy and freedom of the light. How is that possible? What do you have to know? What do you have to believe in order to think that life would be better if you were exposed, that life would actually be better in the light? What do you have to know and believe? And this, 
is where God's grace becomes beautiful. See, grace can't be grace until sin is sin. It's not grace as long as we're denying sin or making excuses for it. Grace is even though I'm a sinner, even though I'm dead where I stand in my sins, God still loves me. That is grace. John says in his gospel that the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. God's light is not shining just down from heaven with the spotlight somehow. God's light has actually entered the world in a person. His name is Jesus. And the way that you find the courage to come into the light, even with your sin, the way that you find the guts to come into the light when you're guilty is by getting to know the one who is the true light who has come into the world. Jesus said in John chapter three, this won't be on the screen because uh, I forgot to put it in the slides, but John chapter three, verse 19 John is reflecting and he says, this is the judgment. The light that's Jesus has come into the world and people loved darkness rather than the light because their deeds were evil. For everyone who does evil hates the light and avoids it so that his deeds may not be exposed. That's the natural tendency of all of us. So how do you find the courage to come into the light? It's getting to know the one who is the light. It's getting to know Jesus. What makes Jesus someone who would com compel us, who would give us the courage, who would give us the guts to come into the light, even when we're coming face to face with how sick and sinful we are? John tells us three things about Jesus that make it possible for sinners like me and you, to actually have courage to be honest about your sin, about our sin. Look at 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. He says, my little children. Do you hear the tenderness? This is an old man who loves these people. He says, my little children. Now, here's why that's so interesting to me, is because he has just done like, professional level job of making you feel bad about yourself. You thought you were bad, you're worse. And then he still speaks tenderly and says, my little children, listen, here's why I've written this stuff to you. I'm writing so that you may not sin. Sin is terrible. Until you begin to see that sin is this destructive power in you that's killing you, 
You'll never have life the way God intended for it to be had. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But here's the gospel. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He himself is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for those of the whole world. Three things about Jesus that can give you courage to come into the light even though you're guilty. First, Jesus is the advocate for sinners. Do you see that? We have an advocate. Do you know what an advocate is? An advocate is someone who pleads your case. An advocate is someone who stands in the gap for you. An advocate is someone who, who comes to your defense. Jesus is the advocate for sinners. And let's not get confused here. The picture is not that God the Father is up in heaven, really angry and hates sinners, but God the Son, Jesus, really loves sinners. And he's twisting God the Father's arm just so the Father will accept all of these measly sinners into his presence. That's not the picture at all. God the Father also loves sinners. It was the Father's plan to send the Son to be an advocate for sinners. Jesus is the advocate for you in your sin. Where else could you go for an advocate like this? Who else would stand up for sinners as sick as you and as sick as me and as sick as the whole world? We have one. And do you want to know the absolute brilliance and beauty of the fact that he's our advocate? The second thing he tells us about Jesus is that he's the righteous one. He's the advocate for sinners and he's the righteous one. Do you get this? See, I remember in elementary school, uh, I remember this one time in particular, this kid got in trouble. And then one of the worst kids in the class started defending him to the teacher. And it's like, well, nobody takes his defense seriously. He does bad stuff all the time. Do you get the picture here? Jesus has every right to be the teacher's pet and to judge. And instead, what does he do? He comes to the defense of all of the sinners. Jesus Christ, the righteous one is doing that. The fact that it calls him the righteous one means that Jesus is without sin. Jesus is not condoning sin by coming to the defense of sinners. Why? Because he's the righteous one. That is, he fulfilled God's law. Every standard that you need to meet, Jesus met. And he's not condoning sin because he's also paid the price for sin himself so that you don't have to. God in his justice demanded payment for sin and God in his grace made the payment himself by going to the cross for sinners. This is the one who's coming to your defense, 
Not one who's sweeping your sin under the rug, one who's shining a light on you and saying, you're a sinner, but be clothed with me. Be righteous with my righteousness. The only way sinners like us get to stand before a holy God is because we have an advocate who is righteous. And our only hope is that we would be clothed in the presence of God, not with our own clothes, but with his. And that's precisely what we get with Jesus. We get to be united with him. We get to be in him. Jesus Christ, he's our advocate. He's the righteous one. And here's the third thing that it shows us is he is our propitiation. In this translation, it says the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And then it gives a little footnote, propitiation. This is a complex word. Um, We could spend a long time talking about the nuances of its meaning, but here's the bottom line. A propitiation is something that makes someone pleased. So, What Jesus has done for us is not just make it so that God and his holiness is not just angry with us anymore, but he's actually made it to where we're pleasing to him. God actually delights in us. Why? Because of what Jesus has done for us. He has lived in our place. He has died in our place. And he has been raised from the dead to offer us eternal life. And in him, we get to stand before God. This reality, when you begin to see who the light really is, Yes, Jesus will expose you. If you're coming to Jesus for a pep talk that you're not that bad, you're coming to the wrong place. That's what a coach does. Jesus is a savior. But this savior does not just condemn you and say, you're more screwed up than you know. This savior goes to the cross for your screw ups. And this kind of grace, do you know what it does? It gives you guts, even when you're guilty. That's the catchy line for the day. God's grace can make, can give you guts. It can make you gutsy, even when you're guilty. Why? Because you know what you'll find in the light. So let's talk about what to do about this. What we need to do is walk in the light. He says, verse seven, verse seven. If we walk in the light as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Then look at verse nine. This is a a synonym for walking in the light. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 
what it means to live in the light. is to regularly practice repentance. To regularly practice repentance. That is, to make it a normal thing in your life to confess. That is, just to say what God says is true. To repeat what God says about us. To confess our sins. And who do we confess them to? Do we confess them just to God or just to people? And if God has already forgiven us, why do we need to regularly tell him all this stuff? And are we supposed to spend hours? I mean, if, if our sin is this deep, are we just supposed to, you know, this is all we're ever to do is just be trying to think about what our sin is? I don't think so. I think, um, I think, I think the details can become obstacles to getting inertia practicing this. Um, The point, I think, is that we regularly live openly in the light. That's why the synonym is being in the light. We're, We're open to correction. We're open to the fact that we may have done wrong. We're open to to the fact that we don't have all the answers. We're open to the fact that we make mistakes. We're open to the fact that we sin and fail. And we're open with everyone. That doesn't mean that we confess every single sin to every single person in the world. It means that our our natural posture, though, is not one of hiding. And why? Why? Why do we live this way? Because we know the grace of the one who is light. Um, This is how we get to live into the joy and the freedom and the love that are found in God and could be found in his people. Um, So I want you to just think about a few different areas of your life. Your home, your friendships, and the church. In those areas, are there any secrets? Is there anything holding you hostage? If you feel the weight of needing to confess, who do you go to? I would, I would ask God to help you answer that question. That's a great prayer. Holy Spirit, who would you lead me to confess my secrets to? I don't think that it's realistic that you would publicly, you know, announce everything you've ever done wrong. It's not the point of this. The point is that all of us would be able to live with lives that are open. That repentance would be a regular thing that we do because we know the grace of God 
and we want the fellowship that is had with him and his people in the light. And we have a great opportunity today to remind ourselves of this truth by taking the Lord's Supper together. Um, as we take communion together, what we're doing is we're just reminding ourselves and we're reminding the people around us that, that the basis for which we approach God is not us, it's him. It's Christ. So what I want to do before we move into communion is just pray for you and, and ask the Holy Spirit to help me and to help you to live in the light. Let's pray and then we'll take the Lord's Supper. Father, we praise you because you are a light. There is no darkness in you. God, we thank you for your, your grace to us in helping us see the darkness of our own hearts. God, I pray right now for, for me and for my brothers and sisters here. God, I ask that you would give us courage to come into the light that we would approach you boldly with guts, even though we're guilty, even when we are guilty, because we're so confident in the one who is our advocate. Jesus, I ask that you would help us to be a community of, of people who are not hypocrites, who don't pretend. God, help us to live in the light. And Jesus, would we be the kind of community that, that is also an advocate? Just as Barnabas was an advocate for Saul, God, I ask that we would be advocates for one another. It's in Jesus' name that I ask. Amen. Well, we're going to take um, the Lord's Supper together, and um, the elements are going to begin to pass. Um, thank you so much, Doug. Um, and as they pass, when you grab the, the bread, please hold on to it, because we're going to take it together in just a moment. The Lord's Supper is a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. This bread is a picture of Jesus's body, a body that came to the earth for a purpose, to seek and save the lost, to redeem all things, to make all things new. And so as we hold the bread and as we prepare to eat the bread, we're reminding ourselves that it's because of Jesus, his life, what he's done, that we're able to live. It was in this body 
that Jesus fulfilled God's requirements for us. It was in this body that Jesus was nailed to a cross. It was in this body that Jesus was resurrected. And so it's in Jesus, as we eat it, we're reminding ourselves, we're confessing to ourselves and to one another that it's only by trusting in Jesus, by getting Jesus that we can live. And then when we get the cup, in just a minute, the cup is a picture of Jesus's blood. Blood that was shed so that sinners like me and you could be forgiven. And as we drink the cup, we're reminding ourselves that it's only in him that we can be free from sin. It's only in him that we can be forgiven and overcome the effects of sin in our lives. And so what we confess here is that we need Jesus. That's what we're confessing in the Lord's Supper. We're saying it to ourselves, we're saying it to God, and we're saying it to each other. So, in just a moment, I'm going to read the text. We're going to eat the bread together. Then the cup will pass, and you can take the cup when you feel led. 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed... The Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also, he took the cup after supper and said, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. After you've partaken of the cup, if you would stand and sing with us.